Good evening. It's good to be with you this evening. We're going to be studying from the book of 1 Samuel uh, between chapters 18 and into chapter 22 and 23. If you want to follow along, you're welcome to do that. Uh, It's definitely a blessing to be with you here this evening. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope you're excited to study together this evening. We're going to be continuing to study about David uh, and his life in the book of 1 Samuel. When we get to this story of David, uh, as we go through Israel's history and we we think about how they were able to rise up as this overarching nation that's able to conquer so much and, and to establish themselves as the greatest kingdom on earth, we saw that it started with Saul, who was a king that was chosen by God because the people were asking for him, right? A king like the nations have. And then... Saul was rejected by God. Saul rejected God. And David was anointed in his place. David was chosen as a man after God's own heart. And we saw him rising up to defeat Goliath uh, and, and having great success against God's enemy on the battlefield. Whenever we look at this story we get the feeling as we're reading through that something's not right. Something's a little off. As we study, we notice that there's a conflict that seems like it's going to happen, right? Saul is king, but David has been anointed. What's going to happen next? You know, we're, we're trying to figure out in the story, if you've already, you already know this story, you already know how it plays out, but act like you don't know for a moment. Think about it. What's going to happen next? You have one who is king whom God has rejected from being king and one who is anointed who is a man after God's own heart who has now defeated Goliath. Is David going to rise up and take over the kingdom? Or what? Is it going to be a slow process? How is this going to happen? David seems very special. He seems very loved by God. How is he going to become king like he's been anointed to become king? How is Saul going to be taken out of the picture like we know is about to happen? In chapters 18 through 23, we get an understanding of what's going to happen next. We see David is going to have a swift rise. Very quickly, David is going to rise up in prominence and power and fame. But then very quickly, David's going to fall. It doesn't seem like that makes a whole lot of sense. Why would David fall? It seems like while he's rising, he should just rise up and be king. But we see him immediately after that falling. I want to think about why he falls like this. What is the purpose of these things happening in his life? Why does he not just ascend to the throne like we might suppose after defeating Goliath? After he kills Goliath, in chapter 18, we see him begin that swift rise up with the heir to the throne, Jonathan, Saul's son, loving him greatly. Saul's own son, Jonathan, gives David his own cloak, his own tunic, his own sword, his own bow. He gives him his own belt. He gives him princely apparel. The apparel of a prince is given to David 
As though David is worthy to be the next in line to the throne. And as we look at Jonathan's love for David, we see it's concrete. He makes a covenant with David, expressing his devotion and his loyalty to David. He loves David. And as we as we study through the story with Jonathan, we can see how it seems like he loves David more than he loves his own father. In fact, Jonathan seems to love David more than he loves himself. Jonathan is this excellent character throughout the book of 1 Samuel. He's he's one who has a great faith. He stands up and he fights the battle with faith that God will defend him and fight the battle for him just like David does. But Jonathan recognizes that David is different. That David is someone special. And he recognizes that he is decreasing while David it seems to be increasing. David seems to be rising in power and prominence. He is a man of great faith and Jonathan enjoys seeing that. Saul's own son loves David. And and Saul's son's not the only one. It turns out David was loved by Saul's daughter. You remember what was promised to the one who slays Goliath? Riches, uh, tax-free, and not only that, you get to marry Saul's daughter, right? That sounds pretty good. Uh, Well, Merib was offered to David, and he's like, well, I'm not worthy, right, of of this. Who am I to be the king's son-in-law? And then after Merib is married off to someone else, Saul brings him Michael. And Michael, it says, love David. And it seems as though David had some feelings toward her, some desire for her, because his response is a little bit different. He says, I'm too poor. I can't afford uh, the bride price, so to speak, to, to offer for this. And who am I, right? To be the king's son-in-law. And, and he says, kill a hundred Philistines and bring me the foreskins. And David goes and kills two hundred. And he gets Michael. And Michael loves David. And it seems like they're having this great relationship together. But not only that, you go back to chapter 16 and there's this interesting story about David playing the harp for Saul. And it seems as though he at one time was loved by Saul. He was able to take away the evil spirit that the Lord had sent on Saul. And he he was able to play the harp in a way that helped Saul in some way. And it would seem like he would be very loved by Saul because of all the success that he brought to Saul in all the battles that he faced. Saul set David up to be the commander and to go out and fight against the Philistines. And it tells us in chapter 18, verse 5, that David was over the men of war, and as a result, the men of war found him acceptable. And eventually all the servants of Saul got to know David, and they also liked David. After David was cast out of Saul's house, he went out and fought the Philistines, and he was going in and out of Israel and Gibeah and and the city where Saul is, and everybody seemed to be loving him. He was rising so much in popularity that they created a song for David. Saul has killed his thousands. But David, his ten thousands. 
That was a common song that was sung of the great hero David who had slaughtered Goliath and who had gone out and defeated the Philistines time and time again. David, it seems, was on top of the world, right? He had that fairy tale life of going from a shepherd boy all the way up to a commander in in the king's army who has great success, who marries the king's daughter. He's the king's son-in-law. He could just picture his life going forward. He's been anointed to be king, and now he's the king's son-in-law. Maybe there's some way he could rise up to be king one day through lineage. Some way, somehow. I don't know, maybe. But there's more to this story as we study it. The writer of 1 Samuel gives us some inside information. Some information that David himself was not privy to. He didn't know all this was going on at the time that all this was going on. In his eyes, everything was great. But at the same time, as those Women were singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. There was a transformation in the heart of Saul. A jealous spirit was rising up in Saul. Saul grew to hate David. You ever had that song on the radio that just gets on your nerves? And it's this new song. And man, that song just bugs you. And don't you know it's the most popular song? And they're going to play that song over and over again. Every time you turn the radio, oh, there's that song again. i got to turn the radio off. You leave the radio on for an hour. It comes on three times in an hour. Come on. Really? Three times in an hour. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Eventually that song gets stuck in your head. And you can imagine that jealousy raising up in Saul as he listens to David play the harp to remove the evil spirit that the Lord has put on him. The jealousy inside of him is worse than that evil spirit. And he hears David play the harp and maybe he's got a tune to the lyrics of the song of the women and he hears it. Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. And it just gets to him, you know? And he reaches over and he grabs a javelin and he thinks, I'm going to pin David to the wall. And he throws it at David. And And David's able to evade him. And he grabs another one and he throws another one at David. And he thinks he's going to kill him. It turns out that everything seems like it's going to be okay after that. After that, okay, well, David's not going to play the harp for Saul anymore. (laughs) I'm not going to be in his presence anymore if he's throwing javelins at me, okay? But everything seems to be okay. Like, maybe we're going to attribute that to the evil spirit, and maybe, yeah, I'm not going to do the harp thing anymore. David is sent out on missions for Saul, and Saul is still jealous So he tries to send him out on the really hard missions to try to get him killed by the Philistines. Whenever Saul gives David his daughter Michael, it's not because he loves David. It's it's hoping that Michael will be a snare for David, somehow causing David to fall. He even conspires with his own son and all his servants to have David put to death. And Jonathan stands up for David. 
When that doesn't work, he finds other men to go and to attack David. He flings another javelin. After the whole Jonathan thing, everything seems okay and he plays the harp for Saul again. He throws another javelin at David and then sends men after him to kill him. A total of 15 times I counted that Saul attempts to kill David. And many of them unknown to David. But Saul is after David to kill him because of the jealousy inside of him. Why? What did David do wrong? Why did David deserve to be treated this way? When we read about David's fairy tale life, and then we see this one man's jealousy cause it all to go into this big whirlwind as, as Saul is after him and he has to flee out the window to escape from the messengers of Saul, we can't help but wonder. At the, at the greatness of the fall of a man who didn't do anything wrong. Imagine having all of this fame, all of this success. Everything is transformed in your life. You've gone from nothing to the big shot. You've got the wife that you want. You've got the job that you're good at. You're out there working and doing a great job. Nothing wrong, and somebody's out to get you. David has to run away for his life. He has to run away from everything that he has and everything that he holds dear. And he runs off to Samuel at Ramah, and he tells Samuel of everything that Saul has done and that has happened. And, and Saul sends men after him, and those men end up prophesying, not capturing David. And then Saul himself goes after David, and he ends up prophesying, and he ends up laying naked, <laughs> prophesying. And David's able to escape. David goes back to Gibeah, and he meets with Jonathan. And he confirms with Jonathan that Saul wants to kill him, and that Saul is evil, has evil intentions. And then he goes from there to Ahimelech, who seems to be the high priest, and he goes to the tabernacle where he eats of the bread of the presence and he's given the sword of Goliath. From there, he runs where? To the land of the Philistines. It seems like he's trying to take this sword of Goliath to the king of Gath, where Goliath is from, in order to somehow find refuge with the enemy. And then he gets wind that they know who he is. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. They think he's actually the king of Israel. So there he is, surrounded by people who would be better off if he is dead. (laughs) And he has to act like a madman in order to survive. He has to let his spit run down his beard. He has to act like he's writing on the wall and speak who knows what. Just in order to survive that encounter. And he runs away to the caves at Adam. What a fall. How hard would that be? 
He's almost been killed by someone who was close to him. The king of Israel was trying to kill him and is still trying to kill him. He has to hide in a cave. He's not finding any refuge anywhere else. It turns out he can't go into any of the cities without Saul finding out about it. He's out there as a fugitive on his own. What is going on? This is the Lord's anointed. That's not how this story is supposed to go. Why would this happen to God's anointed? Why would He fall like this after it seems like He's risen so high? Why wouldn't David instead turn around and go after Saul, knowing that the people love him, that even the men of war approve of him, why wouldn't he turn around and try to take the throne for himself? He knows he's the Lord's anointed. In fact, we have another instance uh, in the book of 2 Kings in chapter 9 of a man who was anointed king, Jehu, while another king, Joram, is in Authority is the king. He's the son of Ahab. Jehu is anointed king, and you know what he does? He rides like, like a madman. He rides crazy to go after Joram and to kill him, and to kill all of his descendants, and to kill Jezebel, and to take over the throne. We don't see David doing that. This is peculiar. That a man is anointed king, has risen to such great lengths and such great power and authority, and he knows that the king is evil and he's unwilling to kill the king of Israel. The Lord's anointed is what he will call him. It just seems so odd. The whole story... Well, the explanation is given to us in chapter 22 when we see what happens to David at his lowest point. In the cave at Adullam, what we find out happens in chapter 22 and verse 2 is that everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him And he became commander over them all. And there were with him about 400 men. Here's David. He's lost everything. And people start flocking to him. Imagine yourself being alone in a cave and and having to provide for yourself. There's no fast food chain up the road. There's no way to make money real quick and easy that you can provide for yourself. And then all these people start coming to you and they're looking to you to command them. Are you going to do it? And that's the way that he that's the way that David is. He he commands them. He is he became commander over them. But what kind of people are these? Those who are distressed. Those who are in debt. Everyone who is bitter in soul. 
Isn't that interesting? You continue reading and you see that David's own family, it seems, is escaping. It seems like there's a lot of people who are suffering in Saul's kingdom and they're flocking to David. And David is finding a place to make refuge for them. He is providing for them security. He takes his own family down to Moab and leaves them there so that they will be safe. They have a relative from Moab. You might remember Ruth. And then he goes and not only is he finding refuge for those who are coming to him, but he hears about those in Israel who are suffering at the hands of the Philistines. Those in Keilah. And he goes out and he fights against the Philistines to protect the Israelites in Keilah, putting himself at great risk. David, who is being attacked by Saul and who is on the run from Saul, is even at that low point in his life, willing to reach out and to save and to help others. While Saul is seeking to kill David, going to the tabernacle where the priests are and wiping out the priesthood in an attempt to go after David... David, meanwhile, is saving Israel and helping those in distress. One of those priests escaped to David, Abiathar. And David tells the priest, Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. David shows us Great compassion and love for others, even while he is suffering himself. What's happening here? What's going on? What is is it that Israel is seeing in the life of David as they study and they learn about this conflict and how things are getting complicated and not working the way that we might think they would? The man after God's own heart is not... Having life easy. The man after God's own heart, the one who God saw as the one he wanted to be leader and king of God's people, is instead of rising to power, he's falling. This shows us that God is working in a way that man would never think. God sees in a way that man doesn't see. And now we find out God works in a way that man might not work. If you or I were writing this story, we might not make David rise and then fall like this. But that's what God chose to have David go through. Because the man after God's own heart loves people even when he's at the rock bottom. Even when life stinks and everything is going the wrong way, he's still willing to show love for others. Can you see Jesus in that? Remember how David is shining a light for us of Jesus? This whole storyline helps us to see Jesus' ministry. 
Jesus rose to to popularity, right? You remember in John 6, they're ready to make Him king. But you remember by the end of John 6, everybody's leaving Him. Everybody's conflicted about Him. And everybody's wondering whether or not this could really be the Messiah. They don't know for sure. Do you remember how Jesus had enemies seeking to kill Him and their motivation like David's enemy, Saul, was that of jealousy. They were perceiving that He was rising in power and prominence and their power and prominence was decreasing and they were jealous and they sought to kill Him. Also, we find in Jesus... In Hebrews chapter 5, that he learned obedience through what he suffered. His time spent suffering was time for refining and and helping in the obedience. That's, That's what David is going through in all of these hard times and trials, just like we saw in the in the book of James. The trials we endure in life help to refine us and make us into something much more. And that seems to be what was spoken of Jesus. But most strikingly is that in the life of Jesus, He calls those who are poor in spirit, those who are meek, those who are lowly, those who are persecuted to come to Him. They come to Him seeking refuge. And He wants to give it to them. You see, David was called a shepherd of sheep. And now God is showing David that he must become a shepherd of people. He must help the lost sheep of Israel. And that's exactly what we find being said about Jesus. In fact... Ezekiel tells us in chapter 34, verse 23 through 24, in talking about Jesus, he says, God says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. As we learn the path of David, it it helps us to see Jesus' life a little bit differently. As David went to this rise and then this fall, he became a good shepherd to those sheep who were weak and who had been downtrodden by the bad shepherds, right? Those who were hirelings. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. And He knows His own and His own know Him. That's pictured for us with the life of David. What does this all mean for us? What can we learn from this story about David's rise and fall, and then while he has fallen, helping those who are in need? First of all, I think the most important thing for us to learn is our paths 
may not make sense to us. <laughs> A lot of times we want to believe that if we do what's good and that if we, if we dot all our I's and we cross all our T's, then God is going to make a way for success in my life. And everything is going to pan out the way I think it should. If there was ever a story to show us that a logical path is not necessarily the path we'll go down, is it not this story of David? How many of us think that God's going to be some genie in the bottle that we can go to to help get our life back on track and to end the suffering and to to stop us from ever entering into any kind of trouble? That's not what we see in the life of David. God allows David to go through great suffering. David sees... The kingdom as being God's. And he sees God as the one who is in control. And David doesn't think, I see things going off a little bit. Let me fix things. Let me go take out Saul. Instead, what David does is he trusts in God and he lets come what may having no control over the the difficulties that are happening because of Saul's sin. David doesn't give up on God. He instead trusts in God. Our path in life will not sometimes make any sense to us. We may think, you know, life is great, I'm financially secure, all my family members are intact... And then it's gone in an instant. David lost his wife. He lost his home. He didn't have time to go back to his house to to grab all the stuff that he forgot. It's all gone. Life can change like that. But he still trusted in God. And, And not only did he trust in God, we have record of him growing in compassion toward those who were suffering. This story shows us that bad things happen to good people. And sometimes bad things happen because we are doing good and because we are having success. We have to deal with the misfortunes in our lives and still show compassion and love for others who have misfortune in their lives. In fact... Our misfortunes may help us in relating to those who are suffering around us. So we might see them more as a blessing than as a curse. And finally we see that we have a good shepherd. As we see David willing to accept all those who are distressed, all those who are troubled, willing to go out and save those who are in need, who are part of Israel, and defeat the enemies of God. As we hear David say, Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. Do we not hear the words of Jesus, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. 
We have a good shepherd who wants us to come to Him and rely on Him when time gets tough, when things don't make sense, when the path of our life has veered off somewhere we never thought it would go and everything seems like it's really messed up. We have someone we can turn to who has endured his own struggles in life and whose end was much greater. One who promises us that we will lie in green pastures one day. He will be with us in the shadow, in the, in the valley of the shadow of death. He will restore our souls. He will make us to eat at the table of our enemies. We have one who loves us and who is willing to die for us. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So as we look at life and all the unfairness of it, you think about Psalm 73 and Asaph explaining how the wicked are prospering and the righteous are falling. Remember the the conclusion of that psalm. He went into the sanctuary of the Lord and he discerned the end. We have a good shepherd who has promised us the end will be worth it. He will make all things new. He will make all things better. He cares and He will take care of us. We must learn, like David, to rely on God. And in order to find favor, we need to realize we have to trust Him. And even if life doesn't go smoothly, we have to trust Him. He knows what's in our hearts, and He knows what's best for us. We have to decide how we will show our maturity when the trial comes. Are we going to show love and compassion for those who are in need as we ourselves are suffering and in need of love and compassion from God. It's up to us. God gives us an excellent example here to help us understand that God will help us in our lives, even though we don't see and understand exactly how. God helped David through Jonathan. God helped David through Michael. God helped David through miracles. God helped David through his own uh, craftiness. God can help us. If you're here this evening and you're not relying on God to take care of you, if He's not your good shepherd and you're not willing, you haven't been willing to follow after Him and and hear His voice and obey His commands, but you know you want to do that, we want to encourage you in singing this song to make that change today. Please come as we stand and sing.